Greetings, fine gentlemen. A marvelous trash day is upon us. <clears throat> the wardrobe of moral imagination. Nice work on the Puritanist title. Well, I have to, uh, I have to give honor where honor is due. There was a liberal journalist by the name of Bill Bryson, who I believe lived, he was an American, uh, but lived in England. So anyway, I picked up uh, one of his books at a garage sale called something, something like a journey through America or something like that, in which he comes back to visit his mother and takes the family station wagon on a trip uh, around the Midwest, uh, New England, the South, and then back to like Minnesota or Nebraska, wherever his, he was raised. And he uses the description, which has never left me, was just the same, you know, and he wrote this back in the 80s. Drongo, good evening, fine sir. <clears throat> and so, you know, that's always stuck with me, modern commercial squalor. And, um, you know, as far as the whole small town Americana, you know, when, when you when you say Americana or when you say small small town Americana, you are eliciting the the feelings, the emotion of of what we all want. You know, we want to live, we want the small town life where you know your neighbors, you know everybody. Um, it's none of the hustle and bustle of the city, it's none of the squalor. Um, and yet there's also none of the isolation and loneliness, um, of the, the rural ghost towns, the rural husks. Uh, and then, you know, with Americana, you know, you go into, uh, uh, Cracker Barrel, the lobby of Cracker Barrel, where they sell all of their little curios and trinkets and things, but it's, it's a, it's an appeal. It's an appeal back to the heritage of America. It's an appeal back or the mass consumption of international globalist plastic. You know, a, a often given criticism of Anglo culture is that we do not have culture, that we are cultureless. But you know, a fish does not know what water is until it has been out of water. We are born into our Anglo culture and for all its curses and failings, our Anglo culture has dominated the world. And so when people say there is no Anglo culture, it's because they're living in it. They've lived their whole lives in it. Anglo culture is, you know, we do have a very unique and wonderful culture, wonderful tradition, wonderful heritage. It's called civilization. It's called the peace and prosperity of your children's children. It's called the fear of the Lord. You know, we have a marvelous culture. And so, you know, when you look at, when you look at quaint videos of the past, when you look at Hallmark movies, what you are seeing is small town Americana. You know, you're seeing small towns where people knew each other, where the, the, the buildings are beautiful, where there's nature and settlement in balance. And so this uh, stream today 
talking about right-wing environmentalism. What is environment? Environment is place. We are all about people and place. What is the purpose of place? It's to live as a people. It's to do your family and economy in a place. You know, so of course the right-wing position is to conserve place, is to beautify place, is to ensure that place is a healthy uh, environment, a healthy place for your children's children, a peaceful place, a prosperous place, a place that inspires life, a place that is honoring to God, the creator of place, of environment. Copper Star, welcome, Fine Kang, and of course, the feds. Brian Croissant, Archangelus W. Laser, welcome, fine gentlemen. It's wonderful to have you all on. I appreciate the gentlemen in the comments. It would be a lonely day without the gentlemen in the comments. So I wanted to, uh, I was inspired this morning uh, by uh, a wonderful tweet. Where was it? Let me go and see who it was. Who were you? Man, so many tweets, a lot of tweets, folks. One day I will show you this screen. Alrighty, Vitruvian Kulak tweeted, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled after convincing us he didn't exist and generally anything in Hollywood was convincing conservatives that environmentalism is left wing. Bros, it's inherently conservative to not want to piss in the village well. Hedge fund managers, be damned. Inshallah and amen. What a great tweet. So that got me, that got me, uh, you know, I was like, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy this on Twitter. You know, when, when you get into a top, I enjoy topic hunting, you know, so I'll go uh, to the search bar and I'll type in environmentalism and people you follow, <laughs> you know, and then it's like everything comes up and you can go down and there's years worth of captured, valuable galaxy brain thought on this topic. And so I retweeted a bunch um, of things on the topic of environmentalism today. But one of the, the great kind of uh, starting points to frame this conversation, because you have to frame this conversation. What is the point of environmentalism? A liberal, a globalist would say environmental, the purpose of environmentalism is to save the earth from humans. And we totally, we, we don't believe in that, right? Our frame is biblical. Our frame is from the creator of said environment. <clears throat> so our frame of environmentalism is to steward creation in honor of God's design, in honor of God's laws for our children's children. It's inherently dominionistic. It's inherently, we will live on this piece of land. There's a wonderful quote, I think by Aldo Leopold or someone of su such stature. But it said, the, the greatest task of humanity is to live in a place without spoiling it. To live in a place without spoiling it. You know, and, and we are creatures of a God who created beautiful things. So we seek after beauty. You know, why does everyone want to live in Colorado or in the Drakensberg Mountains or in Cape Town or in uh, California or, you know, 
People want to live where it is beautiful. Now there's two ways of doing this. You can, you can pay the higher price of buying more expensive property. You know, so oh, property on the beach in Florida is pretty expensive. Property in San Diego is pretty expensive. Property in Colorado Springs is pretty expensive. You can pay the price, the expensive price to go and live in an already beautiful place. And then, you know, oh, wow, this is really beautiful. I, I, I live amongst beauty, you know. And people who live amongst beauty, you know, they tend to want to keep it beautiful, keep it high value. There's a lot of, of um, economy to be built off of beauty. You know, people come to ski, they come to vacation and enjoy the beach and enjoy the sunshine and enjoy the, the mountain air and the rivers and the snow and the sand. And <laughs> there's an economy around that. And so it is in people's best interests to manage and steward and conserve that beauty. The other option, if you don't have the ability to buy your way into a beautiful place, is to take a unbeautiful place, an unloved place, and make it beautiful through your labor. And this is where, you know, the kind of frontier uh, of the next kind of small town survival of our people, future of our people uh, will take place. We'll be in the unloved places. We'll be in the ruins of modern commercial squalor. What is our plan to rebuild small town Americana, to rebuild beauty from the ashes and the ruins of modern commercial squalor? <clears throat> Copper star, environmentalism is conservative, as in, we should keep those who create polluted third world shitholes in polluted third world shitholes instead of creating more. Thank you, fine sir. Very erudite. James, love where you live. Welcome, fine sir. Yes, what a what a thought. Hmm? Eh? And so it is that there are husks of kind of burnt out ghost towns all throughout rural America where there's an incredible opportunity, you know, and affordability. Now, not, not a crazy affordability because, you know, the banks are competing uh, to buy out everything. And so we must band together. We must tribalize. We must collectivize. <clears throat> and we must go buy unloved properties. We must go buy dirty, squalid properties. And we must rebuild with beauty, with beauty in mind. Now, our ancestors built... Uh, in a way that was not commercial squalor. They didn't use plastic. They didn't use, you know, bad design that was just, oh, it's cheap, throw it up, and we don't care what it looks like. It's like, no, the, you know, in America, you know, there, there's beautiful stone and brick work buildings. There's beautiful timber construction buildings. You know, log, log uh, and chinking is a marvelously American uh, building style. It's beautiful. Lasts a long time if it's cared for. And so, you know, we, we get to this place where what is the purpose of environment? What is the purpose of place? We want to live somewhere that we think is beautiful. We want to live somewhere with other people that we like. <clears throat> and so I just wanted to propose today, you know, what are the tenets? What are the actionable uh, principles of right-wing 
environmentalism. Alan, welcome, sir. If you live in a place where horses poop on the roads, you don't have to deal with human poop on the streets. Let the reader understand. James, dollar store, hardware store, only towns. They out there. Copstar can confirm. Yeah. So we're, we're hitting on something here with the dollar store and the hardware store. Uh, James, and we'll get to this now about local economy. And yes, this is a good point. And then Alan, yes, horse poop is indicative of a certain culture of people. Uh, human poop is indicative of a certain culture of people. Take your signs seriously, gentlemen. All right. <clears throat> Tenet number one of right-wing environmentalism. Homesteading. So a great, um, a great uh, description for homesteading, because people are like, well, what is homesteading? A bunch of LARPers. What is homesteading? Being some cray-cray productive food farmer. What is homesteading? Owning a beautiful 200-acre pristine farm while you work your software job. Like, what is homesteading? <laughs> Filthy commies living in a yurt while banging on drums and doing yoga mushrooms. Like, what is homesteading? <laughs> you know? I think a great uh, description for homesteading... Uh, Old Hamilton on Twitter had a great description, which which I thoroughly enjoy is homesteading is the desire and moving towards creating your own, uh, planting and growing as much as you, of your own food as possible. And I was like, that's a great little, you know, do you have your own chickens? Do you have your own herb garden? Do you have your own veg garden? Do you have... Um, a some sort of food productivity going where you live that is homesteading now whether it's one talent or 10 talent capacity and ability it doesn't matter you know there's a a, a great lady uh in texas i'm trying to remember her name uh ooh. anyway she had a um a great kind of uh saying or or vision if you want to call it that you know she said if um, if half the people in America had 10 chickens in the yard, you would destroy the factory chicken farming industry. And it's like, wow, what a localist, what a practical plan for destroying a wicked industry. <clears throat> and it goes the same way for, you know, for, for most things that you can produce at home. So homesteading is bringing back productivity to the household. That is a right-wing environmentalist position, is bringing back productivity to the household. Now, it's not just food, but energy, you know? So if you're, if you're chopping and stacking wood and heating your house with wood, you are a homesteader. You are taking into your own hands sovereignty, from an industrial food system, an industrial energy system. Another thing is water. You know, if you're collecting your own water, if you're um, storing water, you're you're taking sovereignty from an industrial system. Waste is a big thing here. If you're dealing with your own waste, so if you're composting your uh, kitchen scraps, if you're doing composting toilets, if you're doing uh, bulk shopping and and trying not to do plastics and all that kind of stuff back to your own household, 
You know, how can I deal with all of this, these things that are, are requirements of life? The next thing is it makes you incredibly resilient. It makes you incredibly resistant uh, to tyrannical control by industry or by government or by hostile tribes. You know, for most people, if you switch off their plumbing, they're dead in a week from crapping in a bag, you know, or whatever. It's like, if you know how to comp have compost toilets, it's like, no problems, brothers. I'm actually feeding my fruit trees, <laughs> you know, like no problem. Um, and there's great, there's great um, content out on YouTube about composting toilets. And it's a fascinating and phenomenal uh, science in itself. It's like, whoa, this is really interesting. Um, so I highly encourage you guys just to read up on that. Um, so the next tenet of right-wing environmentalism is the local economy. The local economy versus the global economy, the global monopoly system. You know, so local economy. So, so we're hitting there, uh, James. What you said about the dollar, the dollar store, hardware store only town. You know, most American towns are have been destroyed by global chains. You know, so a McDonald's, a Starbucks, moves to the outskirts of a town, and it sucks the mom and pop coffee shops, the mom and pop restaurants out of business because you can't compete with these global chains who are importing at massive scale their products and their supplies. And they're able to undercut, they're able to um, do cheaper production just sh through sheer volume of scale. <clears throat> Same with big hardware stores. Same with big grocery stores, Kroger, Walmart. They place them on the edge of town and they just suck out all of the mom and pop local neighbor, your neighbors, your families businesses that have run for perhaps generations cannot compete with these big institutionalized vertically integrated global chains and at this point a lot of people get you know again like what is the what is the solution you know we've got to ban walmart and we've got to ban mcdonald's and ban starbucks and all this stuff and it's like ideally yes but that's not actionable right that's not actionable by us and it leads to despair now, where it is actionable, praise God, there are some town councils who have who have banned fast food franchises, who who have banned WalMarts and things like that. Praise God, and and we should be working towards that. You know, you should be running for town council or or running your friends for for council, uh, encouraging the people who are on council, like, hey, would you guys mind, you know, putting a limit on on franchises? Would you guys mind putting a limit, you know, on on uh, global chains coming into our county or our town? That's wonderful and that should be pushed. But then there comes our own life, right? We need to build a local economy. That means engage in the local economy. If there's a farmer's market where you can sell your own food that you're growing in your homestead, where you can buy other people's food that they're growing, <clears throat> if you can get on meat shares, if you can get on, on dairy shares, you know, if you can give your own trade, your own service, your own products to your community, if you can, you know, instead of going off to, Walmart to change your tires, go find the local tire shop, you know, and that's when like a lot of guys will look, oh, Scott, all tire shops are franchises now. And it's like, okay, find the franchise that is owned by your neighbor or by your family member or by a guy in your tribe, you know, find the, the tire franchise that has a second amendment sticker on the window rather than going to Walmart, you know, it's all of these things of like, we've got to, we've got to think what is the lesser of, of the evils when it comes to the franchise global economy game. 
But at the end of the day, we want to we want to help our neighbors. And it's like a lot of guys are like, yeah, Scott, my neighbor works at Walmart. I'll go support Walmart. And it's like, no, no, you, no, chaps, you're not getting it. You know, yes, Walmart brings employment. Yes, McDonald's brings employment. It's like, you don't think that a mom and pop cafe, a mom and pop grocery store, a mom and pop, you know, every single industry that is is sucked out by Walmart and then paid $15 an hour to some dude to be a greeter. You don't think that all those mom and shop pop mom and pop shops would give a better living, would give a better income, you know, and that's where a lot of people cry again. It's like, screw the mom and pop shops. They charge 30% more than Walmart and blah, blah, blah. Like, screw them. They're greedy bastards. And it's like, you don't understand. You don't understand that you're killing your own town. You're killing your own neighbors economically. There's a great uh, quote I read once. Uh, A guy said... um, he was writing about uh, local economy and charity. And he was saying how buying from your neighbor, buying from your local people is an act of charity wrapped in dignity. You know, so instead of, you know, giving 10 bucks to the hobo, you know, you pay 10 bucks more on some product or some service that you've bought from your neighbor rather than some Globocorp. That's charity wrapped in dignity. <clears throat> Another um, side of, of the local economy versus the global economy. The local businessman cares and has a skin in the game, a stake in the local future, the local success plan for his children's children. The global the global chain franchise owner is literally just like, how do we rape the heck out of this place? while we've got the chance. All right, let's get to the third tenet. Copper star, people underestimate how quickly your own crap will kill you. You know, let me tell you. (laughs) We are a very urbane culture. I think we we have had plumbing for more generations than we can know. Whereas you go to some cultures that don't have plumbing and things get dicey on the bacterial front, on the water front. Uh, James, so many, mainly the boomer types, wholeheartedly can't see past, save money, live better mantra. Yeah. Copper star, Gen X are the same way. This is a battle with my mother-in-law who says that not buying from Amazon is just hurting yourself for no reason. And, and you know, to a certain extent, you can understand, you know, you don't want to go. It's that whole Dave Ramsey thing. You know, if you're in the hole, if you're in debt, of course, you're not going to go and be charitable and go, um, you know, be generous to other people. Of course, go shop at Walmart. Of course, you know, order deals from China and stuff like that. You know, you've got to live. You've got to live. But part of being a Christian is understanding that it is God's desire for us to live in the blessing of building wealth. Deuteronomy, I think, 8 or Deuteronomy 15, one of the two, says that God has given us the power to build wealth. Deuteronomy 28 talks about us being blessed in our flocks, blessed in our in the work of our hands, blessed in our storehouses. So as Christians, we want to grow wealthier as we work, as we build. 
And so, of course, people who are poor, people who are in debt, people who are in a doom loop of cursing, of condemnation, of people who are uh, enslaved to the banking system, enslaved to the corporate commercial squalor system, to the consume culture, of course, they're, they're not going to, you know, this is not their first step. Their first step is not to stop buying their groceries at Walmart. You know, that's like step four or five down the line. Their first step is is some real identity and Christ-centric sorting out of some crap over there, realizing they have a people, realizing they have a place, realizing they have a purpose, a gift to give, etc. But yeah, completely. <clears throat> All right, my next tenet of right-wing environmentalism is ruminants and perennials versus annual cropping and veganism. Veganism. <laughs> so uh, ruminants, uh, there's, uh, I love all the, the Bitcoin and cow guys on Twitter. You know, God bless them. Untapped growth and uh, Bitcoin and cows. And uh, I don't know, there's a, bu- there's a bunch of these guys. Excuse me for not remembering your uh, Twitter names. Um, but I was really blessed uh, to work when, when we lived in Kentucky. I worked with a bunch of regenerative uh, farmers who were using ruminants, cattle, sheep, uh, integrating it with, with uh, uh, chickens and turkeys and ducks on, on pasture as well. Fowl, fowl birds. Uh, to rebuild soil, to rebuild um, soil health and provide protein you know we are we are incredibly healthy when we live a high protein that is a, a clean protein a, a a healthy protein a happy cow if you will we're we're incredibly healthy when we we live on that diet you know you look at all the kind of bronze age pervert slash uh, sun and steel pill bra boys you know, with their whole thing of the Mongolian diet versus the, uh, I think it was, who, who are they saying? The, um, probably the Persians or, or anyway, someone on their like cereal diet, you know, but, but we are an incredibly toxified culture because we eat annual grains. We eat corn and soy and sugar and, uh, you know, all of these processed foods have become our staple you know, and they, they are, they, we have poisoned ourselves and, you know, farming all of those annual crops, you have to poison the ground and poison the water. And then there's all the incredible, um, inputs, you know, with, with logistics and everything like that on top of it. Um, and the processing of them all seed oils and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, you know, and you look at, at that guy who did the study on, on, um, savage tribal cultures who eat predominantly meat, you know, wild meat and, and gathered things and their teeth are perfect, you know, and they don't brush their teeth. And then you look at the children of, of, of those immigrants to uh, Britain, you know, the, the classic English meme is like, all right, mate, (laughs) you know, and your teeth are all over the place. It's from generations of processed food, generations of, um, you know, we spoke a, a while back on a stream about World War II and the the industrial food complex, the, the war industrial, the military industrial food complex. You know, you just want to put the most amount of calories in a 
in a storable, logisticable unit uh, and get it, you know, to the people. So it's like, you're not worried about the five years from now health of a soldier. You're worried about the next four to five meals of a soldier, you know? And so, so that's our food system now. Um, and we spoke, I don't know, yesterday, the day before about annual cropping and all that kind of stuff. But, but what is, what is the, what, you know, it's okay to be like, this is the enemy and this is the bad and outrage and negative, but we have to get to what is the positive vision and you have to go towards the positive vision. The positive vision is ruminants and perennials, you know? So we want, you know, America, <clears throat> someone did a great thread on, on the chestnut tree. Uh, God's blessing be upon it. May it, may it thrive once again. May the blight be cursed and damned to hell. <clears throat> uh, someone did a great thread on, on the chestnut economy. You know, how these hardwood trees would create year after year after year of, of chestnut yields, you know, and then you would grind them into flour. You would feed the pigs on them. You would have this incredible uh, food economy that, that uh, rose up around hardwood nut perennial. Same with apples. Uh, cherries, peaches, uh, plums, you know, all of the, the, the fruits that grow um, in this climate, um, berry bushes, uh, all of the, the medicinal kind of um, pros of, of berry bushes, which are perennial, you know, blueberries, blackberries, uh, elderberries, sea berries. I'm trying to think of all like the, your, your different berries. There's an incredible harvest that comes from perennial crops. And then all the, the kind of uh, protein sources that grow up around it, you know, deer for one, cattle, you know, pigs, chickens, fowl that grow up around and can eat all of these fruits and nuts. And then when you, when you start talking about the fruits, apple, the apple ethanol is a phenomenal science to start looking into. You know, apple ethanol is a, uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating thing. You know, alcohol is obviously a, widely used um, creation, product, magic, you know, you can enjoy a good cider. Um, but then also like all the things that run on alcohol, alcohol is combustible. Alcohol is a, a storing agent. Alcohol is a, um, a hygienic cleaning agent. You know, there's so many uses for alcohol. <clears throat> and so when you look at it that way, you know, we've, we've traded this incredibly diverse and unique and fascinatingly wonderful for a boring, destructive monoculture desolation. Archangelus, vomity face. Copper star quietly hides back of Oreos. <laughs> I'm partial to an Oreo myself. We just need to, we need to make one that won't kill us. I'm sure it's possible. That's it. We need our own guys making our own delectable food products. My wife and I are copious chocolate eaters. I'll have you know. But chocolate is just such a marvelous creation. All right. Another tenet of right-wing environmentalism. Tribal territory keeping versus unlimited immigration. You know, you look at the Amish, they are tribal in how they keep their territory. You know, we talk about 
horse poop on the roads. It's a marker. It's a tribal gang marker. Let me tell you. Don't be fooled. Horse poop is a tribal gang marker. On a policy level, and again, we don't want to focus too much on the policy level because our guys aren't yet there. But as far as the memes are concerned, we do want to push that meme. We do want to push that direction. And we do, whenever that, whenever this conversation is brought up, environmentalism, if there's a debate, if there's policy stuff going on, if there's cray-cray liberals trying to shut things down, anyone who brings up environmentalism and does not bring up reversing immigration, repatriating, deporting millions of people back to where they came from is not serious about environmentalism. <clears throat> Part of the uh, kind of human destruction and control agenda uh, of the UN, of the World Economic Forum types, of the big banks, whatever you want to call them, whatever we, you know, we, we don't know, but but whatever cabal of, of cray-cray stuff is going on there. Africa is a created chaos. You know, $5 billion a year or whatever it is has been thrown, you know, over the last 50 years or whatever, has been thrown at Africa to try and be humanitarian and environmentalist and compassionate. That has destroyed Africa's environment. Environment. It has destroyed Africa's demographics. It has destroyed any hope of cultural peace in Africa because all that money gets funneled uh, to corrupt political leaders. Any corn and protein uh, dump into these markets destroys the local market for local farmers. You know, if you're some local Somalian farmer and you're like, I did it, guys. I produced a ton of corn this season. I'm going to be the wealthy Somalian who feeds all the people. You know, and then some American churchy person comes in and is like, I saved you. Here's 20,000 tons of corn. You know, you're done. Your farm is done. You're not getting paid for your corn because everyone's getting free corn. <clears throat> you know, you destroy uh, economies by dumping outside uh, produce and outside aid. So what's happened in Africa is you've had this demographic explosion, you know, where I think Africa is coming up on a billion in population. You know, you look in South Africa, you know, half the problem in South Africa is demographic, uh, unsustainable demographic explosion. I think in 1900, it was four blacks to every one white. Now, 100 years later, uh, I think it's like 10, 10 or 15 to one. I'm not sure the exact uh, estimate, but there's been a, you know, the, the white Indian and colored demographic line has been just a slow, sustainable increase. The black demographic line has just been like through the roof. <clears throat> and it's not, it's not organic. It's not sustainable. And so you look at what is being created in Africa, you know, is however many millions of African migrants who cannot survive in Africa. That's the whole reason they are refugees. That's the whole reason they're being brought in by NGOs into Europe and into America. They're not being brought to Asia. 
They're not being brought to the Middle East. They're not being brought to South America. They're not being brought to the next country that is stable. They're being brought to freaking Europe and North America. <clears throat> they are political um, tools of destruction of the Christian West. And so they come to the Christian West and, you know, the Christian West is a car centric, cold climate lifestyle. You know, it, it creates, it takes a lot of energy uh, to live the Western lifestyle. And so, you know, the American population, the, 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 the realistic American population pre-1965, if, if the floodgates had not opened, should only be at like 100 million. You know, I'm going to write that book. You know, there's that classic Bugman book, One Billion Americans, The Case for a Billion Americans or whatever. I'm going to write the, the book, The Case for 100 Million Americans. But so unlimited immigration, what it does is, number one, it drives up housing costs and it drives urban sprawl. You know, it drives big box McMansion developments, which you know, just destroy the landscapes. It destroys towns, right? So ethnic enclavism, the, the non-assimilation of peoples destroys towns, you know? So we want small town Americana, right? We want towns that we can live in and enjoy that are safe and beautiful, that have economic um, opportunity. And immigration destroys that. It creates enclaves. It creates low trust, um, it creates white flight. It creates, um, yeah, the urban sprawl and, and all this kind of stuff. It, it destroys wages, you know? So it's the same thing with, with mass integration of women into the workforce. It, it halved, you know, you double the labor pool, you halve the labor price. And women in the workforce, by the way, is an environmental issue. It destroys small towns, you know? When all the women were home with the children, that's when you had biker gangs cycling around the neighborhood. And that's when you had kids playing down at the creek. And that's when, you know, kids would arrive home and go play in the streets because there were moms at home, because there were, the neighborhoods were safe, because there were adults there. Now there's no one at home, you know, so the kids have to stay inside and play Xbox until one of the parents arrives home. Or sometimes they only have one parent. And that's, you know, the destruction of small town Americana. So tribal territory, tribal territory keeping, you know, the Amish, they, they focus on their tribal area. You know, all the families who buy, you know, they, 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 they buy property, they farm their property, they, they live communally in an area, in a territory, and they keep it. They don't hire outside labor, you know, because that's it. We can rail against unlimited immigration and build the wall and send them all back and all this kind of stuff. We don't have the power to do that. What do you have the power to do? You don't hire outside labor. The Amish don't hire outside labor. They, they do everything themselves. They're people. It's tribal gatekeeping. You know, you don't sell your property to non-tribe. You know, you don't, you, oh, I could get $500,000 if I sell my property to BlackRock. And it's like, yeah. And now your grandchild can't afford to buy a house and start a family. You know, we have to have this tribal territory keeping mindset. And then the last one, and this is far more conceptual, is nuclear and infinite oil versus windmills. <laughs> you know, 
you know, all these greenies and their windmills. Windmills are just, you know, they destroy the birds. They bloody, we were driving through, I don't know, northern Indiana or somewhere and there was windmills everywhere. Just looking at them, I started getting a headache. Like I was like, are they doing something to me? The windmills are making me go crazy. The windmills are, are an absolute blight on your psyche. They're a blight on the landscape. They, they kill the birds. They kill the beautiful little bald eagles, which are the birds. And then apparently, you know, the blades go and sit in the desert uh, in these huge big landfills. You know, yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, and, and there's a lot of guys who, who have really good kind of takes on the green energy industry basically being a monopoly front for the big oil companies anyway, you know, of kind of gatekeeping out any competitors and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, so nuclear, you know, nuclear is, it, it's, you know, it's the no-brainer, you know, and there's a lot of, again, a lot of great conspiracy stuff about, about you know, the the non- um, the non-toxic nature of nuclear compared to the, the lies that have been spewed about it to kind of shut it down. Um, and then infinite oil, you know, so uh, there's some guys out there with theories that, that oil is infinite and self-regenerating, um, which is an interesting concept. Um, and again, nothing, nothing beats the economy of the combustion burning engine. You know, and a lot of people are like, oh, you know, coal, uh, and firewood, you know, oh, you're burning fire to keep your home. That's, you know, carbon dioxide and all this stuff. And it's like vegetation grows with carbon dioxide. You know, it's fine. You know, you have enough greenery. You have enough, um, you know, you don't have monoculture desolation fields. You have beautiful silver pasture lanes and forests and wilderness areas, you know. Then you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And so this is more a policy and meme one. You know, it's not really actionable by us. But it's like, I don't want to buy into the electric car crap. You know, I don't want to buy into the windmill crap. I don't want to buy into, you know, this whole um, kind of, you know, you could even go further in that with the Ludditism of like, I don't want to buy into robotic cars, you know, um, driverless cars and all this kind of stuff. But it's like, you know, to push the thing of like, no, we're, we're good with nuclear. We're good with the combustion engine. Like, we like it. We like the nuclear option. So, praise God. <laughs> copper star panzers in barns and all that so that's what happens when you when you disregard the poop gang sign the poop the that horse poop on the road means you do not pass here yeah otherwise the panzer will come out of the barns kbj wears welcome fine sir thank you it's good to be back copper star a fatwa on wind power this is inshallah W laser, what are the windmills even made out of? Plastic? Yeah, I have no idea. W, I think it's like carbon fiber or you know some form of fiberglassing and plastic stuff. W laser, has anyone else seen the videos on YouTube of people reverse engineering their old washing machines into hydropower generators, based and tinker pilled? Dude, I love, absolutely love garage tinker videos. You know, praise God that this is the American way. This is small town Americana. There was one based video of like some old, old boy, like some nuclear engineer or nuclear mechanic, whatever he was up in West Virginia somewhere who was like building a, a reactor in his garage. And then he got shut down by like whoever the, 
feds are for that thing. But I was like, so based, so based. Yeah, you know, and I love seeing hydropower technology, this, you know, ramp pumps and, and all of these things. It's praise God for it. Andrew, welcome, brother. They survive thanks to our cultural abundance, agricultural abundance. Yeah, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's the great tragedy of Africa is they are an incredibly controllable, you know, they're an unsustainable population, but they're a controllable population. You know, something like, I don't know, 70% of South African uh, blacks are on antiretroviral medication, you know. And, you know, you look at how much of Africa are on food um, support, subsidies, whatever. So it's like, you know, like, why would they, you know, why would these humanitarians, why would these environmentalists pump the population of Africa? That's antithetical to their aims. And it's like, because they can, they can pop the bubble in three months. You know, you stop ARVs, you stop food. And within three months, you've, you've popped the population bubble. <clears throat> it's incredibly controllable. Uh, I mean, it's, it's sickening, but you know, you wouldn't put it past these people. Archangelus, shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> Praise God. So Birdman says, environmentalism is a fossil fuel industry lobby contrived to redirect you from the big obvious solution, nuclear, to a bunch of bullshit windmills, Malthusian dog growth, cultish moralizing buffoonery. I like that. The obvious solutions. You know, what are the obvious solutions? Nuclear, cattle, perennials, homesteading, local my goodness, excuse me. Local economy. Scott Tange says, the right wing has the only true environmentalist position of stewarding creation out of honor to its creator. Libs use environmentalism as a justification for controlling and punishing white boys. That's why they don't care about China or India. Because that's the funny thing. You know, you look at China and India and it's like, my goodness, you know, polluting the rivers and the air and the oceans and raping the rivers and the, the oceans. And, you know, it's just like yeah, poop in the streets. Let me tell you. <clears throat> um, untapped growth. Get him to love the world so he neglects his neighbor. This is my take on environmentalism. Solve global problems locally. Clean your room, bucko, and fix your own backyard first. Then teach your neighbor how you did it. Stop focusing on the world. Scott Tange tweets, environmentalism 101, deport 50 million economic replacements, pollution, urban sprawl, and crime go down, sustainability, healthcare, and education go up, globalists mad, Americans happy. One of my favorite uh, quotes, which I would probably have to put on a sweet hat, but is, um, save the bees, plant more trees, and deport the refugees. Beautiful, frankly. Copper Star, don't trust that Scott Tange fella. Total fed. Listen, he has some email sign-up stuff. Uh, don't go to a capital dressed in a hula shirt with him. Yeah, it might be a problem. Also, we're tracking you through this screen or something. Watch out. I'll make you denounce some things. I'll make you say diversity is your strength and then record it, and then I'll have dirt on you for the rest of your life. So to wrap it all up, the tenets of right-wing environmentalism 
homesteading, local economy, ruminants and perennials, tribal territory keeping, nuclear and infinite oil. The five right-wing steps to environmentally sustainable future. Well, praise God. It was fun in the uh, comments. I appreciate you chaps all coming on. And we will see you all tomorrow. Maybe a fatwa Friday is upon us. Who knows? Not me.